as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also Big Shiny Robot. And we are back this week with three movies for you. We've got The Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, uh, Black Mass, and also Everest. And then at the end, we're going to quickly discuss Comic-Con and some things coming up. But first, Andy, you got to see Scorch Trials, and I didn't because they decided to screen it while I was at work. So tell us about this movie and whether or not it's any good. The good news is, Adam, you didn't miss a whole lot. Oh, um, joy. <laughs> I know some people will be upset at me for saying that, uh, especially people who are fans of this franchise. Yeah, I, I think you were called a Grinch, if I remember correctly. I was called a Grinch. For not liking <laughs> this. My, my heart is apparently two sizes too small because I felt that while this movie was a vast improvement over the original Maze Runner film that it just really doesn't deliver. It mm-hmm. tried incredibly hard to be that epic, dark, character-driven middle chapter that a lot of uh, movie trilogies have. So like but, the Empire Strikes Back kind of setting. Exactly. And it spent so much time trying to be Empire Strikes Back and trying to be Dawn of the Dead and trying to be the Two Towers that it never coalesces into its own film and its own narrative. There, it's really overstuffed, and as much time as they spend trying to move the plot forward and in big action sequences, mm-hmm. it feels like a jumbled collection of little parts kind of thrown together. That being said, the acting in this was really good. Uh, If there's one thing to love here, it is this cast. Uh, Led by Dylan O'Brien, who is, again, playing Thomas. You might remember him from Teen Wolf. He's one of my favorite parts of Teen Wolf um, on MTV. And um, a lot of other people who you may not recognize outside of the other uh, first film. Although uh, Thomas Brody Sangster always has a special place in my heart because he is the voice of Ferb on Phineas and Ferb uh, for the two words that Ferb says every episode. Um, <laughs> there are also some other great people who, who show up in this. Aiden Gillen, uh, who is on Game of Thrones, is is the bad guy chasing him out through the scorch and through the desert here and really relishes in that bad guy role the same way he really does is Littlefinger. And so it's it's a, another cool way to see him kind of stretch those acting muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, Giancarlo Esposito shows up very briefly as uh, the leader of a, of a gang who might give them shelter, might turn them back over to the people who are chasing them. Uh, and let me just say... Uh, one of the best uses of I Go Walking After Midnight by Patsy Cline in recent movie history or pop culture history. Um, and an all-too-brief appearance by Alan Tudyk, uh, mm-hmm. who, for the five minutes he's in the movie, makes it a hundred times better, but it's just too little too late. But overall, this movie is just uh, kind of a mess. And 
it, it feels like it was spiraling up and up and up and up and up to try and build to something. And what it's building towards is the inevitable sequel that is telegraphed so hard from the end of this. I mean, they did that at the end of the first movie, too. Yeah, was, I was going to say, doesn't the first one pretty much end on a cliffhanger to be continued, like, cut in the middle of a scene, fade to black, and then credit roll? I mean, I know it was, I've heard it was pretty, pretty cut and dry. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the most disappointing parts of the first movie, I thought, is that it ended so abruptly. Here, it doesn't end quite so abruptly, but it ends with one of those sort of, well, what are we going to do moments? And they're like, this is when we're going to fight and we're going to take it back. And you're just like, <laughs> you know, it's such a, it's so predictable. And if it wasn't so laden with the tropes of the other movies that it was very aggressively stealing from, it would be a lot more enjoyable. That being said, if you really love this series of books, you might find some enjoyment here. Uh, people who aren't fans of this series of novels, maybe not so much. Um, I'm I'm feeling not very charitable towards this, and I gave it a three and a half out of ten. Oh, wow. Um, I, I heard, and, and again, I didn't see it, so I guess they go in the desert, and there are these like zombie creatures that if you get bitten or scratched, you turn into one of them or something like that. Yep. Doesn't that take place in a mall? <laughs> there I... is a large sequence that does take place in a mall. Haven't and we again, seen this before? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mentioned to you that it aggressively steals from movies like Dawn of the Dead. So, yeah, this is... Um, as it, it just felt very unoriginal in in doing all of those things just like that. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I, a friend of ours went and saw it, and... He was sitting there, and at the end, you know, I guess something happens, and like, well, how are you? Like you mentioned, how are we going to go get them? And it kind of cuts like a whole end of Empire Strikes Back, where they have to go get Han, and he just sat back and laughed. He's like, "F, F you." <laughs> that that sounds pretty much like my reaction. I was I was not very I was not very pleased with with where they went with this. It just. Like I said, it just felt very unoriginal, and I mean, being being based on like a series of YA novels, I I mean, actually, be... the author lives here in Utah, so he like he lives twenty minutes away from me. Oh, really? Yeah, I I had no idea. Well, good for him, and I hope he enjoys his paycheck. And this isn't the worst movie ever. I definitely didn't hate it on the same order as uh, you know Pixels. But I just I just found it kind of boring and uh, really um, ag- aggressively steely from other movies. Yeah, well, it's it's waiting in the box office, so well, some someone's going to go see it. <laughs> someone someone is going to go see it, and uh, there are many people who are apparently enjoying it. So um, I am very happy to be wrong. If you like this movie, good on you. I will go watch Dawn of the Dead and Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> which and are the two towers. much, much, much better movies. <laughs> yep. Uh, and in speaking of much, much, much better movies, we have Black Mass, which is almost a biopic of James Whitey Bulger. Uh, the movie is based on the book Whitey: The Life of America's Most Notorious Mob Boss. 
It was written by Dick Lear and Gerald O'Neill, who were reporters with the Boston Globe, and pretty much uncovered the story of what happened with Whitey Bulger and his involvement with the FBI. So for those who aren't aware of this, um, James Whitey Bulger was one of the most notorious crime lords of the last couple of decades. And he got that way because he made a deal with the FBI where he would give them information about his enemies, the Italian crime families, and he would let them fight his battles for him. So essentially he was state-sanctioned crime in Boston. And they agreed to kind of look the other way when he was doing things. And because of this, he rose to become one of the most notorious and horrible crime lords in the country, probably since I'd say maybe like Al Capone. I mean, it was it was that big. <clears throat> Black Mass uh, tells this story, and Johnny Depp plays the main character, James Whitey Bulger, in probably the best role he's been in like, since I can remember. Um, this is why we love Johnny Depp. I mean, he's been playing different versions of Jack Sparrow in the last, I'd say, 20 movies he's done. Uh. <clears throat> Either that or Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, it's, it's gone back and forth. <clears throat> but he just fully inhabits this character. They use a lot of makeups and prosthesis. They give him a, a fake dead tooth and thin his hair out. So there's a lot of makeup involved. But he is just so menacing and evil. And, oh, he just, every time he's on screen, you're, you're just riveted to him. Uh, and he's helped out with this by um, Agent John Connolly, who's played by Joel Edgerton, who, again, a fantastic role, fantastic job. He was, he's just, he's a great actor. He was the best thing about The Gifts, and he keeps on proving again and again that he is an up-and-comer who I, I guarantee you will see at the Oscars, you know, next couple years. But he's the FBI agent who grew up in South Boston with Whitey Bulger. They were friends as kids, and approaches him and says, hey, <clears throat> come be an informant for us, you know, we'll help you out, we'll, we'll watch you back. And of course, you know, being a gangster, Whitey Bulger doesn't like rats. In fact, during the movie, he, he straight up murders a few of them. But he says, well, I'm not, it's not really a rat if I'm giving you information about my enemies. So he turns FBI informant, FBI kind of watches his back, and he's untouchable for the next 20 years <clears throat> as he grows in power and pretty much takes over all of Boston. Until finally a new FBI uh, prosecuting attorney comes in, who's played by Carrie Stoll, who is just bewildered by the fact that no one's gone after Whitey Bulger. I mean, they know he's dealing drugs, laundering money, murdering people, and everyone takes a look over, you know, overlooks what's going on. So he starts digging into it, and through all this, eventually gets leaked out to the Boston Globe what happens, and everything comes tumbling down. Whitey Bulger flees and was on the run for almost 20 years. In fact, he was just finally caught a couple years ago. That's what it was. I, I kept remembering that I'd seen Whitey Bulger's name in the news recently, and I couldn't remember what for, like he died or... But, exactly, yeah. So he was he was on the run for like 20 years from the FBI, and they just barely mm -hmm. caught him. Yeah, it was uh, about 16 years. And there, there are some rumors that he actually turned himself in, like he gave out a tip because he was just tired of... <clears throat> just tired of running, which you almost you know, can't blame him for. He was actually the uh, number two on the FBI's most wanted list, right below Osama bin Laden. So that's how <laughs> that's how on point they were for getting this guy. Crime doesn't pay, kids. <laughs> Except for the you know fifty years that he was doing it. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but this movie, it's you go see it for the acting. I mean, we, we talk about how September is generally a slow month. It's you know it's it's the leftovers from August. But if you remember, I think it was I think it was September or maybe early October last year that we got Gone Girl. 
and Gone Girl kind of ushered in the beginning of the Oscar season. And Black Mask definitely has that feel. Um, will he get nominated for an Oscar? No. For the movie itself, no. Uh, acting, you might see some stuff for Johnny Depp. Because like I said earlier, this is 100% his movie. And he is just fantastic at it. I mean, like, like I say, if you want to go see a great one of the best I'd say yeah easily one of the best performances this year um, is his take on Whitey Bulger he's just, he fully embodies this person and every time you see him on screen you want to cringe uh, not to be outdone though Joel Edgerton you can almost say the story is more about him uh, it's it's about how he gets in tight with Whitey Bulger and kind of protects him out of either loyalty or liking the lifestyle of being with these kind of big name famous people uh, it's almost more about his rise and fall as well, because at the end of it, he ends up getting going to jail for uh, conspiracy to commit murder, a bunch of other horrible things. But everyone in this is fantastic. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has a very small role as Billy Bulger, his brother, who's a state senator, who there was some talk if he was involved or not. And the movie generally says, he, you know, hey, he's a brother. I love him. I'll have him over for Christmas. But that's it. You know, I have nothing to do with what's going on. Uh, Kevin Bacon is Joel Edgerton's uh, boss, the FBI. Corey Stoll is amazing. And again, for the brief moments that are in the movie. The only problem I have with this is they almost try to humanize Whitey Bulger. Uh, there's a big scene about how he's a loving husband. His son passes away from Rye's disease. And they, his mom passes away and they have him at a funeral. And all these little moments are kind of strung together to make him seem human. But then in the very next scene, he's literally strangling someone with a rope. <laughs> so those moments fall flat and really kind of seem to pad the movie. Uh, it's two hours, and it definitely feels the two hours, so it's a very, very slow-paced film. Yeah, 15, 20 minutes cut out probably would have made it a better movie. But again, this is all about the acting. It's a fantastic job by everyone involved. Definitely the go-to see mo- go-see movie of the weekend. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Oh, that's that's high praise. I... I didn't get a chance to see this, but I think with this kind of dearth of movies in the next week or so, I might have to swing back and, and pick this one up. Um, speaking of this kind of lull in movies, in very limited release this week, we have Everest, which is showing this weekend only on IMAX screens. And boy, wow, if, um, if you're going to see Everest some way you can go see it on an IMAX it's you yeah it's it's one of the few movies you will ever hear me recommend to go see in 3D but in IMAX 3D this is I think the next movie that's going to come out that will even be close to this will be The Walk which is the story about the guy who did the tightrope walk between the Twin Towers oh jeez yeah. yeah and that's but this is it, this is an experience you have to see on a screen that big because it's that makes the spectacle. Yeah, I agree. Even though this film could be very dark at times, and I meant that in terms of like the color palette, mm-hmm. and I, I felt that uh, the 3D washed out some of that color at some points. Or that may have just been where I was sitting in the theater. Um, 3D is not the most perfect technology, but it is. It, it regardless, it's still worth it. Um, there's just a little bit of a downside. But let's talk about what Everest is. Everest... It's a mountain. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it is. Or as we're fond of saying in Utah... It's mountain. Mountain. So um, <laughs> a bunch of mountain climbers decide to climb up this really tall mountain. And no. 
Mount, <laughs> Mount Everest is the highest peak in the world. I hope we know this. And uh, every year, people try to climb it. In, uh, in 1996, uh, there was one of the worst disasters ever on the mountain where uh, a lot of people died. And this tells the story of that. This was chronicled in many ways, uh, including the 1997 bestseller Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, who happened to be there. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, told from his perspective, that's a great book and how I knew about this uh, these events before going into there. Um, and I really enjoyed that book. I wish I enjoyed the movie as much as I enjoyed crack hours and uh, novel but that isn't to say that this isn't a good movie this cast is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. um, let's just kind of roll down everybody who's in here uh jason clark plays rob hall who is uh, a mountain guide from new zealand he's a kiwi and man that that accent is like spot on this whole oh time. yeah he's just great um jake gyllenhaal plays a rival mountain guide uh, and uh, they're leading up a, a group of people who includes Josh Brolin and uh, Naoko Mori who you may remember from Torchwood and a couple of other people who uh, are all involved here uh, and of course um, I mentioned John Krakauer is in here he is played by Michael Kelly who uh, you might remember from House of Cards as uh, Kevin Spacey's uh, little toady Stamper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is just like in that, he's he's great in this. So I thought that, well, why don't you tell us what you thought about it? And then, and then I'll go into why I didn't like it as much as you. Yeah, so, you know, at its heart, Everest is really an ensemble disaster movie. Uh, you know, we, you know the, the, rage, the Towering Inferno, 2012, all those kind of things, except... You know, the enemies and the dangers in this aren't aliens or earthquakes or fire. It's the mountain itself, I mean, and all the dangers associated with it. So, hypothermia. And it's real. And it's real, too. Yeah, it's, this, is, this really happened. So, like, hypothermia, lack of oxygen, uh, you know, storms and blizzards and <clears throat> everything else that, you know, could pr- pretty much it's the mountain's attempt to kill everything that approaches it. In fact, the last couple of thousand feet are known as the death zone because when you're there, you are literally dying. I mean, there's you. You have to have oxygen. It's so cold. I mean, people they uh, I think it's called uh, brain hypoxia or something like that, where they just it's almost a form of dementia where they'll wander off a cliff. So, I mean, this mountain does not want to be climbed. <laughs> it's a twenty-eight thousand feet. No one should be up there. So the the movie is excellent. It's so much fun and, and fun in a, in a scary way, almost like a horror movie, um, because it's absolutely terrifying when they're on the mountain trying to scale it, and then uh, they end up getting bottlenecked because, like we mentioned before, there was too many people trying to climb at one time. The safety ropes weren't fully secured by the Sherpas, so they end up summoning and coming down later than they expected. And because of this, most of the team gets stuck in this huge storm that hits them, and now they're on the face of a 28,000-foot-tall rock <clears throat> with a blizzard in their face. Because of this, you know, a lot of people end up dying. And that part is its scary, it's horrifying, I mean, when I was there, when they were at the top of the mountain, and it's, again, in IMAX, which is why you have to see this movie, and they're peering over the edge and like, oh, look at the cliff. I got vertigo, and it, it freaked me out. And, and then 
when they're huddled in a pup tent, when the, the, the blizzard comes in, and, and the sound is so amazing. I mean, you can hear the ice crevices moaning and shifting and collapsing, and the, I mean, the blizzard's ripping through you. <clears throat> I swear to God, that theater got colder. <laughs> it's that much of a visceral experience. And that's what you go to this movie for, and that's what the trailers show you. The problem is the hour leading up to that of them <clears throat> climbing, getting acclimated, and the, you know the different you know Jake Gyllenhaal and Jason Clark, who both mountaineering teams decide to band together to go up at once. It's them just sitting there complaining about, oh, there's so many people up here, and <clears throat> oh, we're, we're worried about this and we're worried about that. We get it. We know Everest is a dangerous mountain. We know people are going to die because this is we know we know history. But the movie spends too much time trying to develop these characters who we've already gotten a pretty good feel for. Um, and I mentioned in my written review, it's almost like in a horror movie, they want to get you to know people, so when they die, you feel bad for them. That's kind of what they tried to do here, but in a horror movie, you know, there's exposition, exposition, action, action, scare, exposition, exposition. This one, all the expositions in the first hour, and all the scares and fun stuff's in the second hour. So it's not balanced very well. And really, you, there's no other way to do it for this kind of film than to have the beginning and then go to the good stuff. But they could have made the beginning a bit, you know, again, like we said with Black Mass, maybe about 20 minutes shorter. They would have cut out some of the dialogue, would have made it a lot better. But once you get to the, you know, when they're climbing the mountain and everything goes to hell, um, it's it's a fantastic ride. The good stuff. You're, you're so morbid. That's That's terrible. <laughs> well, why? No, we, that's, you go see, you go to a horror movie because you want to see teenagers get killed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just messing. Oh, up. I know. But, you, but you, it, nah. it, it, I completely agree uh, with that, and I, I think I just found that a bit more grating. And the other part was they spent a lot of time explaining and setting up, and I think that they spent too much time explaining some things and not enough time explaining others. Mm -hmm. So it, it felt a little odd. I, I don't know. It felt like this script needed a couple more polishes, even though they'd been working on this for a long time. Just yeah. compared to Krakauer's original novel, which was incredibly well-paced and riveting from the first several pages, this was not. And I, I just felt it was a very poor translation of something that had been had been done very well in other media previously and this just wasn't done as well yeah so <clears throat> it's not perfect by any means there are issues with it however if you want to throw a ride and you want to see this on the biggest screen possible check it out it's imax 3d uh, for this week it'll be in wide release next friday but again again there's no reason to see it in a standard theater you got to go see this on the biggest screen I liked it a bit more than you did, so I ended up at a seven. It's got some warts, but I was able to overlook that because it just it gives you such a thrill ride in the last half. Yeah, I'm I'm at a five, so it was good, but not not great. I mean, go go see it, I guess. But yeah. So, all right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week of the Board as Hell podcast. Uh, this week coming up uh, because of Comic Con and the fact that they're not really screening much for us. Uh, we are going to take a week off. However, I will have a written view of Stonewall. That will be posted next Friday, so keep an eye out for that. And if you are at Sully Comic Con, please come see me on Thursday and Saturday. I have a couple panels I'll be doing, so if you grab the app. And I hope to see you there. Have a good week, and hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon.
punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key.